Hi, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you on this Friday. Today, we're talking to Keith's old friend, Tim Heindel from Lionsgate. And Keith, um, what I appreciate about this conversation is Tim's insight into the humanity and data kind of requirements for marketing. Yeah, I mean, that's one great things about Tim is that he's very sort of, he's very data driven, but at the same time, he understands the human component that really drives a lot of decision making. And I think that's really unique in, in sort of the research space, particularly entertainment. So I think you guys are going to love this conversation. Yep. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and we'll see you again next week. I still think the theatrical experience is a special, magical thing. And I think this past weekend reinforced that despite the naysayers, um, who have always who are always so quick to jump as soon as there's yeah. a slight like stumble in the in, going all the way back to going back to the beginning to right. the beginning it's always it's this weird kind of like it's funny i always go back anytime everyone talks about the death of the industry or it's over and whatever i think you had already left at this point but when jim took over as the sole chairman once tom had departed um he did a big town hall and he threw up all these sort of articles that said the movie industry is dead it's done it's over and then he showed what the dates were one was the innovation of tv that was going to end the movie industry then it was the vhs market tvs are done oh wait no dvds even higher quality it's over and he's just like they've been talking about a death of our industry for since the industry started so don't worry we're not going anywhere um so I, I do think you're right that there are always naysayers and you know it was heartening to see um a movie open the way it did and it did well and you know that was that was great to see my one worry is and i'd be interested to see what your thoughts are on this i worry about original ideas like i worry about original original not based on an ip or a comic book or a novel or something that already doesn't have a built-in audience like think about quiet place how would that have done now would it have done just as well without sort of the lead up that you know you know well, i mean just sort of the word of mouth and you know everyone wanted to go see it because everyone was talking about how great it was like would a movie like that open now like that's what i worry about because you look at like godzilla okay that's got a built-in audience <clears throat> Quiet Place 2 was based on, you know, a sequel to a, a, a successful horror pick. I mean, the only other example we have is Tenet, which was obviously a unmitigated disaster for Warner Brothers in a lot of ways. So what my concern is like, well, what about original material? Art, like I was reading an article today that say adult dramas are basically dead as theatrical properties. They're just basically going to go to the streamers, like movies like The Father, which is supposedly a phenomenal movie but you you know you're not going to see that in the theater so are it in your opinion do you think that's the case or is it just way too early to tell at this point right way too early yeah a and b i think there's there is but there is an element of like um there's a grain of truth in what you're saying because the windowing game is completely up in the air yeah. right everyone's kind of experimenting we can call it, let's call pivot what it was a like nice try come in come on man the price point of that and we hear it we keep hearing it over and over again across multiple different surveys you know it's unless you're cruella right i mean disney's got that secret juice they can get away with that yeah and still maintain kind of that dual path mm -hmm. but for most other titles uh 20 bucks is too much is too much um and it's 
it's just not sustainable. But that said, we're experimenting, right? We're trying different things with like um, uh, different windows, different EST electronic sale through price points at different intervals to see which one can maximize the opportunity for the title. I think it's really, I don't remember where I had read this, but I still really believe that ultimately it's going to be a dynamic model that as the demand in theaters decreases, that triggers the EST kind of escalation window. And it could vary by title, depending upon how the audience is responding. And that's a way to keep, I think, the um, to keep to give an opportunity for those those like adult dramas to have a little bit of a theatrical presence because there's still baby boomers still go to the movies, cinephiles still go to the movies, and, and will still continue to go to the movies. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't need to be in theaters for as long. And I, I say that. Isn't it the big blockbuster experience that is a, it's a given, right? That's why they made the Godzilla movie and Quiet Place movie. Like there's, there's something in the environment of a theater that we could all buy into of like, I want to I see the Avatar in a theater. I, I don't care to watch that at home. Even if I have 3D goggles at home or whatever that weird thing was that they had up for a while. Um, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to, I want to be in that surround sound of theatrical experience but the but some of these other movies that are really just the streaming darlings are working because we're consuming so much more of that content on the ott platforms um and i i almost feel like i think the netflix and amazon and disney all know they have us there and if because they're they they are creating the content and they own the platform, I feel like they're dumbing down the content to keep us on those platforms. They're not necessarily giving us those big blockbuster items. Maybe that's why we needed a Sony and Warner Brothers and Universal to be players because they're trying to break away from those um, major shareholders in the OTT space. I wonder because like you think about fast, because you're right, Tim, they're all experimenting, which I think is great. I think we have said this over and over again on the podcast, but the pandemic sort of accelerated a lot of changes that were already sort of being discussed. It was like pressing, it was like a 10 year fast forward. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, we, we've been, <laughs> the whole 90 day window had been sort of been, they've been chipping away at the edges and the exhibitors were always like, no way, we're not doing it. And, you know, Universal was always trying to play with it and they finally got their opportunity with the pandemic. But, you know, you'll think about like, okay, so Fast Quiet Place 2 is going to be, 45 day theatrical release, and then it's going Paramount Plus, one imagines. And kudos to Jim Giannopoulos for resisting the pressure, which I'm sure was coming down from on high to put it on Paramount Plus, a dual release. And he's like, no, we're doing a theatrical release. So kudos to Jim G for that and sticking to his guns on that. Um, but I wonder if, you know, if that, and you know, you look at Fast and Furious 9, I think it's like, night 15 days or 17 days and then it's going to go on to an ott platform or something like that because of the new deals that universal struck so i'm just wondering is uh, they yes they're experimenting but at the same time are they sort of also almost shooting themselves in the foot because 17 days like i i know there's the whole fomo phenomenon like you don't want to miss out on the, the ninth version of fast and furious <laughs> But that also relied on the fact that everyone was going to be talking about in the office and not everyone's going to the office and there really isn't the water cooler conversations happening. So is that sort of, are, are, are the industry shooting itself in this foot by doing, being that aggressive, like 17 days? And then you look at Disney, you're right. They definitely have a different model, but they're also releasing it at home at the same time. So it's like, 
we're experimenting, but are we also like shooting ourselves in the foot? I don't know. It's inter- that's an interesting question because I, 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 I would have said yes when um, if we had spoken about this like a month ago or two months ago, and with a particular focus on the um, um, Warner Brothers experiment and with Disney. But that, Warner Brothers has been such a fascinating kind of experiment as it's unfolded, right? And it, it's yeah, in some it's. <laughs> I mean, in some hands, it's like a flaming shit show. And then on the other hand, <laughs> it's a very curious um, case study in um, organizational uh, restructuring and yeah. um, streamlining kind of content delivery. But I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if what Universal is proposing is the is a better way forward than what Disney's doing in terms of revenue generation, because I'm mm. sure they'll like fast is like tracking like a beast. It just came on um, this week and looks like. You know, it, it's not unreasonable for that to be our first hundred million dollar post pandemic wow. movie, right? Not, not out of the room. Given, I say that now with more confidence, given how um, Quiet Place blew past even the most aggressive expectations. Yeah, yeah. right. Blew it out of the water. <laughs> awesome. Like out of the and water. Like that AMC, <laughs> AMC stock price just blew it. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're like, we'll be lucky if we make thirty million. Yeah, right. I'm not sure. Meanwhile, fifty-seven million dollars later. <laughs> Well, I, they're also, I mean, totally different audience, right? One is more of an adolescent market. You know, I mean, I'm in Manhattan this week. And one of the things I said was the city looks very young. It's just like everybody, all the young people are out doing what they're doing. Um, I don't know if Quiet Place was the adolescent market. Fast and Furious obviously very is. So um, what, it's a great release. And hopefully it gives confidence to the other movies we've been waiting for. Um, I think we've been waiting a year and a half for Maverick to come out. So I'm just like, are we going to... Right. <laughs> Got to wait till November. Forget I, even <laughs> Bill and Ted. I think that might have written that one off by now. <laughs> That's like the landmine, the distribution landmine. I would not want to be... I, 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 feel, I feel for our distribution <laughs> team because the yes. dating game right now is like... Um, it's not just landmines. They're like nuclear bombs. They're sitting yeah. around every corner um, with gobs of pent-up demand. I mean, just, yeah. you, I mean, you, you unleash that, ah, you know, that's the, um, I have a little bit of envy. Well, how about Mark from the marketing point of view? I mean, SVP of global marketing research, you, you clearly have some insight to, um, give, give us the, the sense of like, is it easy? Like basically pretty much you just have to release it because there isn't very much being released. The competition is so little yes and no. or do you feel like you are trying to convince people to come to the theaters? What's, what's the angle now? Um, it's not, it's not easy. It's not, um, you still, you would have, you have to have good product in some ways you kind of have to have better product because yeah. the, there's still like COVID resistance. I mean, like we, we've been following, um, energy does a, uh, COVID tack or tracking deck, a separate deck every week that maps out attitudes and, and behaviors across a range of questions. And, it's still of the movie going population, like three quarters are comfortable returning. I mean, which is fabulous compared to where it was, but still just three quarters. And there's still yeah. even, I mean, one of the kookier numbers and we just, it just turned this week was that um, people who were not vaccinated were more comfortable returning to theaters than people who were. Wow. Right. Like <laughs> what? What? I can believe that to be true. I got to be honest with you that it, I don't know. I feel like the, there is a boldness to a certain part of the marketplace that again, just being here in Manhattan, which I don't live here. So just to kind of look at it, an observer um, there's, there's some weird behavioral things that have happened and trigger a uh, trigger things that are in place for some people and not others. Um, and you can feel it from store to store, front to front. So um, I, 
I, yeah, I'm going to guess there's like a certain uh, idea of like uh, of when when you feel free and comfortable in in yeah in a post pandemic world. Yeah, yeah, Angie. I've seen you know some research and you know I, articles that for a lot of people the pandemic was sort of like the moment the people that like love to like stay home and watch Netflix, use Grubhub and all the apps where they never have to leave their house. Like this was like almost like and they they inter social interactions are awkward for them like this was like what this is like heaven for them mm -hmm. and they got so used to it and i think there are a lot of people who are like that they you know the fact that you had to go out and be social was just sort of part of an expectation of being a part of society and a lot of people overcame a lot of their anxieties to in order to participate and then the pandemic happens and it's sort of like antisocial behavior is sort of encouraged. <laughs> and now it's sort of fed that beast to the point where they're like, uh, I don't want to go back. Out. I kind of <laughs> like know. this. Like, Everyone's feeling that return anxiety. I'm feeling that for, I don't, Jesus. I don't want to not wear a mask. I'm, it, uh, where's my mask? I mean, <laughs> I mean, and I think that's like the biggest overcome for a lot of the industry is like, these, there's going to be a group. I mean, it's great that three quarters want to come back. That's awesome. But it's going to take something that like everyone is like a Titanic like event. I feel like the movie that everyone is talking about, that's really going to be able to drive everyone because like, oh, I can't miss out. All right. You know what? I've been doing this long enough. Everyone's talking about this movie. I got to I have to see it. Yep. I think that's really the only that's really going to just thaw the ice for sure. I mean, it's going to take the summer. It'll take at least the summer. Right. So yeah. like worse, worse. It's sure. It's you know, I've been I've been at Lionsgate for almost two years now. I've been working from home longer than I've been working in the office. And I have colleagues who I've never physically met. Team members. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarro. That's so nuts. Well, Absolutely you know nuts. what's interesting? There's some interesting repercussions to what you're saying. So if non-vaccinated people are more likely to get in the theaters than not, then clearly we're going towards a more conservative market in the theaters. So movies that would be successful in traditional distribution will be more conservative movies because it feels like the more conservative uh, folks are the ones that are not being vaccinated, vaccinated and more out there. Now, all of a sudden, as a marketer, you're like, I have to make some liberal-esque movie look conservative for <laughs> people to show up. <laughs> or or really, it will, it will kind of start really segregating some of the crowd, even of like what people see or not. But there's there's like, that's an interesting influence that could play itself out of like who the people are in the theaters, what they want to see, yes. what Hollywood's going to distribute in the theaters, and therefore what's going to have like a, a little bit of a surge. I can imagine there'd be a little bit of a surge. Uh, 100%. And, and, and the flip side of that coin is that the We've been, we've seen, we've had multiple studies that have delivered such concrete evidence supporting the idea that diversity in front and behind the camera equals more dollars. Simple. It's that simple. And so we got to like lean into that with a like, and that's been a really, um, a really interesting transformative element of this summer for us internally and for the you know industry at large, for the society at large, but also for us, particularly at Lionsgate, we've made a real authentic commitment to DE&I, and that is permeating into all facets and all decisions that we are making. And so it's been, um, that said, that said, we still, I mean, I think back to like the fall of 19 when we were all in the office together and we had a movie like Rambo, right? Last Blood, which is like middle America, um, 
you know, us versus them, blood and guts, you know, border fights, that kind of, you know, gangs. And then we had like bombshell, (laughs) the Roger Ailes, you know, uh, story with, you know, that was lovely. Right. And beautiful and extremely liberal um, and totally different campaigns. But we've been doing this, you know, we've always had this like middle America versus coastal kind of like mental mental framework through which we can deliver films and market materials. Um, That's just, you know, it is what it is. I'm just going to think Vice would not make it in in today's market. Vice would be the one. I can see where Bombshell would make it in today's market and Vice would not make it in the market because they're, um, of the audience. Well, it's interesting. We'll see what the theatrical kind of appetite for those is because you know there's like a there's like probably two dozen you know Trump movies yeah. <laughs> sitting in development right now, <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for the right moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Shaman animated series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, where does that start? The uh, diversity. Um, decision making. Does it start from the creative end of a studio? Yeah. Do you guys in marketing research tell the creative end, hey, let's start making different decisions in our acquisitions of IP and, and different movies? It's a, it's a little bit of both. Like the um, um, we have a set, we have a whole division now. We have a we we hired this uh, wonderful woman Kamala Avila Salmon, who if you have she has this podcast called From Woke to Work that I can't recommend strongly enough. Um, and it is her sole focus, man. She is like a laser beam and, and prying open every one of those potential um, opportunities to maximize um, maximize the opportunity. Because, you know, we, we know, we've, we've always known this, that um, Black audiences turn out for Black filmmakers, for Black actors, for Black stories, right? Um, we have less of an understanding and we have, we have sort of an understanding amongst the Asian Pacific Islander community and that they will turn out for a, a story of particular resonance. Um, but how does that generalize to the Hispanic Latinx community? That's, we're doing a research project on that now to explore the, the role of identity and representation um, in uh, attendance and, and the kinds of stories that people want to want to see in here. But there's still the like, um, all of that said, you still need like I think that's what, what, what why Marvel is so powerful. They're able to take those diversity themes and those diversity elements and incorporate them into that Marvel wrapper, um, mm-hmm. and that's that communicates a theatrical experience in a way that um, um, it's harder for smaller titles too. That's a that's a great point. That's a really great point. So, do you from from the marketing research, do you influence the creative decisions of the studio? Then are you are you ahead of the, the game and telling studio heads, hey, this is what we see or here's where, where we believe our research is telling us to go and therefore influence acquisition? You know, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, do they trust you? I guess would be the question. We're evolving. You know, we're evolving. I love my uh, the Lionsgate team is so, is so fabulous. Some of the best people I've ever uh, come across in my time in the industry. Um, it's a we're, you know, it's, we are actually doing that in a way that it's always been kind of a wish list thing for me because we always, we would always, um, in marketing, like complain about, or not complain, just it was a matter of fact, you have to play the hand you're dealt. If it's a yeah. shitty movie, <laughs> that oh. was poorly executed with no budget, whatever, you still have to sell it. You got to figure out, it's going to be somebody's favorite movie, right? No matter how bad it is, like the Pathfinder, for example, with Carl Urban, it is somebody's favorite movie. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> difference now is that um, the uh, 
Joe Drake, our chairman, has made it very explicit that he wants data infused into all facets of decision making um, from top to bottom. So we are bringing, you know, a, a combination of both um, of like survey research, um, analytics, and um, AI and machine learning to inform, to at least give a perspective. Inform sounds too powerful. It's really not that. It's just to give a perspective at the green light phase, right? That's where we need, I think, and particularly for us, you know, because we're, um, these streamers got big checkbooks, man. We are fighting yeah. with Goliaths, right? So we're trying yeah. to like, we're sifting for hidden gems, right? We're looking for like, um, everybody's, we have our franchises, of course, Hunger, we have new Hunger Games movie coming out in a couple of years. John Wick 4 just got announced. Um, it's going to be massive. Um, we have Borderlands coming up. My kids will like that. They're, they're John Wick fans. Oh, they're they're going to love that. Love this. Love this. Um, <laughs> And expanding those franchises, right? Like there's there's uh, there's expansions to the Wick franchise. We're hoping that we can this book for from Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, represents a expansion of its universe into its Snow's Cornelius Snow's backstory as a kid. So it gives a little more texture to that world. Um, but other than that, we're you know we're uh, we're fighting, we're scrapping, <laughs> we're scrapping, and any information or data that can inform the like audience potential or at least the contours of the audience in advance of those decisions. Um, we hope it's helpful. It's got to be helpful. I think it, you know, it's, it's so hard to make like a predictive case for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it seems like you guys are, you're absolutely right. Cause you are up against the, it's like a David versus Goliath scenario. It was, it was, and now it's worse. <laughs> now it's worse. That's true. It's like, it's like you're, you're, you're like, you know, the small little mouse compared to like King Kong almost, you know, it's, and I think it's smart the way you guys are tackling it because, you know, I just remember how we used to do things at Fox. It was just like the research game was always just sort of like validating already previous decided decisions more or less it was just basically like no discovery it was all volume yeah no discovery no infra no sort of like let's figure this out it was more like this is what we're doing just tell us this is right you know like just <laughs> find the research so we know that this is right it wasn't like give me my score give me my definite yeah, exactly yeah. exactly how to, like, test? Hey, how to test how to test how to test what's the number what's the number not yeah. like well what is what is it what are the comments what's the more rich background it was like what's the number right and that was all that mattered and it's interesting that you guys are sort of being a little bit more forward. And I think you're right. You have to be because you are up against these Goliaths that are just blank checks. And also in the, like that visit, like definite interest in particular is such an interesting little uh, metric that we have used across. It's in testing. It's in tracking. It's in like every facet <clears throat> of our kind of interface with the consumer. Yet, what does it really mean? Right. Right. So that we're also we're also trying to unpack and think more holistically and realistically about what we're what information we're gathering from people and then how to really use that in a most in a more effective way because if you think about it definite interest is me saying I'm looking at a trailer that is 6 to 9 months from now it's me simply expressing a positive intention reaction toward yeah. potentially buying it it's a, it's like Shit for shit. You're gonna buy a ticket six months from now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, I'm definitely interested. I'm also oh, definitely yeah, interested yeah, in going to the moon. I'm definitely interested <laughs> yeah. in like you know moving to Australia and opening yeah. up like a hot pot. <laughs> it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how do we then better understand the relationship between the material and the consumer in that moment of exposure? Right. And I think one of the yeah. um because another area that's always been fascinating to me and that we've we've even dallied with, I think, a little bit at Fox was like biometrics and understanding that subconscious response to material. 
then again, a lot of that too is hard to understand how to make sense of it, right? Like what's the predictive capacity of that, my heart rate or my eye, the way my eyes are tracking our material and what that means with respect to my emotional state in terms of my ultimate behavior. Um, one area that we're really interested in that I think is um, really ripe for exploitation is the concept of immersion. So it's, it's when you are into something, like when you're into a show or into a movie or into a series, you're immersed. You are engaged emotionally and they're like uh, cognitively with the story and the characters and their journey, right? And when people are immersed, there's a biochemical marker that is released. Oxytocin is released in the body, right? That bonding chemical. And so these guys that we um, were experimenting with, and they still really, really want to do this for a screening because I think it's such a better way to get at like the most salient moments is to see when, the, when there was the peak immersion, right? When I was mm. so lost in the flow of the story that I forgot where I was. We're all trying to find that sensation, right? In our day-to-day lives, it's like, it's what yeah. meditation provides for you. It's like exercise provides that. It's that escape. Um, and so to the extent that we can turn our advertising materials into kind of like like immersion missiles. Right? And, we're, and the thing is like, we can, like 30s are almost dead in my estimation, yeah. right? You got to be right. 15 is your new story spot. And you're down yeah. to like sixes <laughs> and bumpers, right? You're right. Or the Tony Sella tweezer. Yeah. The tweezer. The six second tweezer. You'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, always claim you invented it. <laughs> let me, I mean, uh, as an outsider, let me kind of, you know, jump in because I almost feel like we're trying to imagine we could pre program this stuff into people and therefore get engagement opposed to what we've really experienced. And most of our lifetimes is it was already made and then we are responding to it opposed to, uh, hey, I know what the response is going to be. Therefore, I'm going to make it. And Keith, I almost feel like you you do this with your clients where you're you're recognizing when the data is wrong and trying to say, well, listen, I, I get that the major studios, I know what their decision point is going to be. And this AI thing has a certain decision making point. But in reality, this actually is good. Yeah. And I'm going to walk walk you through the process of what marketing is going to look like in order for people to see what it actually is, regardless of what AI compares it to already existing kind of stuff. Because where would where would Chris Nolan be if we were comparing him to Michael Bay? Like you'd be like, it doesn't there's similarities, but the differences are what make the difference. And AI can only capture what already was. They it can't project things forward, but yeah. the human mind has this part. So Tim, I'm going to guess, you know, go ahead, Keith, because I know that like this is what you deal with a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do run into that a lot with some of my clients because they are, you know, data, very data heavy and data sort of like, this is what the data is telling us. And I'm like, yes, but that's data based. And a lot of times it's like, well, you know, it's the classic, like so-and-so meets so-and-so. Well, this is what they did with this movie. So this is what we need to do with our movie. And it's sort of like, well, that's not necessarily how this really works. And mm-hmm. you need to sort of take a little deeper dive into it. And it's interesting you brought up Chris Nolan because he has one of my favorite quotes about that. I always, when, when I was at Fox, I'd always sort of pop into my head anytime, you know, any one of myriad of my supervisors was always asking, what is a test? What are the numbers? <laughs> and I'm like, and Chris Nolan had this quote. He's like, instant reaction is always like the least most accurate I'm butchering it, but it's always the least most accurate judge of what somebody actually feels about something. You think about it when you were walking out of a movie and you ask that person, what do you think of it? You kind of like, yeah, it was good. And then 
10 to maybe, you know, the next day, you're like, you know what? I, uh, uh, uh. You kind of got to sit for a little bit. So that's why I always felt like instant reaction wasn't always the best way to judge something. And, you know, I think it's smart that you guys are looking at sort of deeper interaction. And then it's very true that the theatrical experience is definitely the best way to do that. Because when you're sitting watching a Netflix show, you have your iPad going, you've got your phone, you're, you, you're like, you're running like three or four different devices all at once. So you're not really paying attention, but in a theatrical world, you pay attention. So you can really dive into sort of the day, you know, really get a sense of what is really hitting the audience and what's really working. I if, if they could ever figure out how to make that work, that would be brilliant because that would inform more than just sort of like the instantaneous reactions you know, that you try in the blue book, it was always like, I always have to go through the back of the blue book, say like, okay, what's the, what's the highest number of scene mentions? Yeah. And then we'd create the blue book special, which was basically like all the scene <laughs> mentions, <laughs> the highest testing scene mentions cobbled together with a title yeah. on it. And be yeah. like, yes, this is going to get a 70. <laughs> and it comes back 50. <laughs> right, right. Because it ignores the interrelationship between those moments, right? There's, you only have a peak because of its relationship to the valley surrounding it in terms of like yeah, a scene exactly. power, right? That's exactly right. The other thing you were talking about in terms of like the, um, the kind of the, the potential flaws of an instantaneous reaction, this, the COVID has given us an opportunity to do things that we probably wouldn't have done before, like um, do focus groups for a research screening the next day and virtually. Yeah. So people are in their homes, mm -hmm. they're, on this, they're on this computer. I mean, virtual focus groups, I think I don't want to do them any other way. Honestly, it's been miraculous. We are, you're able to instantaneously have national representation in a panel of like 15 Oh, people, yeah. I never right? thought about that. <laughs> Instantly. That's brilliant. Yes, yeah, it's cool. And with a virtual screening, right, we've, did, we've done several of those until now we're back in theaters. But um, people watch it at home. They get to chew on it. And then they come back with like much better formed thoughts. Yeah, because it's always interesting because, you know, after the screenings, one, they're usually on a weekday night. So you're keeping people from getting home. And if they hated the movie and you get them to hang around, they're, they're annoyed because they want to leave. So you're not always going to get a very positive experience. And I love the fact of virtual because my biggest issue, having been a year a Midwestern guy, born and raised, I'm pseudo Midwestern by almost, but Pittsburgh's not really Midwestern, but it's close. <laughs> but it always used to annoy me. We'd be like, oh, we're going to get tested. So we're going to Sherman Oaks. Really? Sherman Oaks? That's a great representation of the rest of the country. Oh, wait, no, we're going to go to Thousand Oaks. Oh, even better. But see, this just actually make that that part because it was like the one time I think we did it right was when we did Avatar. We were bouncing all over the country with focus groups. We went to Denver. We went to Atlanta. We, we were going all over because we knew we had a, a big whopper on our hands that we had to you know mm -hmm. figure out. So we were getting a massive sample. And I'm like, I wish every movie could do that because that's how you really get a sense of like what's going to appeal across all the demographics, coastal, middle America, flyover country, what have you. So that, yeah, that's great. I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's evolving. It's like what we call flyover is evolving, right? Like there's been, yeah. it'll change. It's going to change within the next year. Like there's been a, it's like an exodus from some yeah. cities, Los Angeles is down in population for the first time since I've lived here, fucking 20 plus, pardon my language, 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people are leaving, right? Because yeah. it's, it's too expensive. Yeah. They want cleaner air. They want less congestion. Um, and so the, so, and, and consumer taste will evolve as, as such. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're going to the Hollywood perspective, you have to go to Wyoming because that feels like all the Hollywood <laughs> yeah, people were going exactly. to Montana, exactly. Wyoming, or Texas, <laughs> Austin, Dallas, Houston, uh-huh. Arizona, yep. yeah, Utah. Yep. Yep. I just feel like you know sometimes when people talk the way you guys are kind of talking about research and what have you, you know, I just wonder where where genius falls in because like what. How did Alfred Hitchcock know to make those movies that everyone would like? Because I can't imagine it would really, you know, win in, in research. They're just such odd films, but it's the body of work and his specific genius of storytelling that you have to be a human and a human mind and somebody that is thinking about it day five, day 10 after watching the film that really sticks with you more. So how does that play out in marketing? How do you take that into account? Or do you guys find as marketing leaders, you have to fight for that more to say to a, a, a studio leader, hey, hey, I get where the numbers are, but trust me, marketing has the ability to get people in the seats. Or, hey, I know what the, the numbers say, but trust <laughs> me, this is a film that people will attach to regardless of what you think you know, the, the, that research is doing for us. Oh yeah. I was laughing at the trust me because that's always like the kiss of death. Anyone opens a sentence with that. <laughs> I never say that. <laughs> never say that. Nope. Okay. Nope. Apparently I'm not a professional in that market. <laughs> no, you're a prof- it's professional tap dancing is what it is. Yes. Yeah, you're like, so. you're looking at so many tea leaves and like, oh, good Lord. And especially in the, um, Trying to interpret tracking in this COVID landscape, it's getting it's getting so much better. Thank goodness. But it's it's tracking both energy tracking and like the um, um, and Wikipedia search and Google and with working with our analytics partners and determining kind of where the like volume and intent profiles are how that's shaping up. It's all such a soup right now. <laughs> yeah, and everyone wants assurances, you know. And the and the double edged or the um, the. Uh, the, the real challenge, I think, for us in, in research and, and analytics has been because we've always had the safety net of box office as a like a hard predictive kind of like we know, right? We know we come on mm-hmm. tracking. We need this much unaided. We need this much first choice. Here are the button. Here are the levers to push to get there. Um, media and creative. Let's do it. Um, oh, that's all. That's all in the air. And so it's we're we're sort of using some of those same muscles, interpretive muscles that we had used in the in the old world, as we call it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but also, it's it's uh, it's evolving incredibly dynamically. There's still, I think, there are still foundational elements like top of mind, right? Always matters. My what my unaided first choice is, right? That I want to go see matters as it relates to its proximity to the actual behavior, but. Um, Apart from that, I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure. I think we need a more holistic yeah. uh, look at the entertainment consumption landscape, inclusive of VOD and um, platform titles. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Tim, you brought up genius. It's like, you know, the classic Steve Jobs, like nobody knew they wanted an iPhone until right. it was created. It was Nobody knew they wanted it until it was in front of them. And I think that's that's really a lot of what, you know, I love the idea of being more immersive research and data, but at the end of the day, it's 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 always going to be a business driven by hits and the ability to take chances on movies that aren't always necessarily going to be guaranteed for sure yeah money makers and i don't know how long it'll be till we get sort of back to that i mean like you know when richard rushfield was on we talked a little bit about you know um irving thalberg who was 26 when he was the head of production at columbia pictures like making all these crazy deals mike deluca at new line he was 27 
when he was the president of production or 28 or something like that, like just making all these crazy decisions and making all these movies that a well-experienced 50 plus year old head of a studio isn't going to make those kind of decisions. So, you know, I, I love the idea of more immersive data, but at the same time, part of me mourns the idea that with that there's not going to, there's going to be less risk taking yeah. unless there's more yeah. data to back up the, sh there's no sure thing. And, but, you know, I miss some, you know, I, there, I mean, granted, I worked at New Line, so I obviously have a special place in my heart for it, but it was a rebel studio and Bob Shea was like, no, I don't care. I want to make it. Let's do it. You know? And I, I kind of miss that, that sort of, uh, you know, cowboy sort of yeehaw let's ride it and see what happens vibe that i think is somewhat lost um because so many people are just looking for like the okay tell me this is like gonna work mm -hmm. and right. I, i'm best. worried that the I, yeah i'm worried the pandemic has sort of pushed us towards that way of thinking versus the sort of you know what i like this idea i think this is going to be a great theatrical experience do it anyway I, you know, granted, I'm, I'm not sitting in the chair making those decisions, but, <laughs> you know, I just working at trailer part two, uh, and, uh, I, Benedict Coulter, who was one of the founders at, at, um, trailer park, he often just writes the story behind the trailers that he's made for 30 or 40 years, right? He's telling the first time he met Spielberg and how this worked or what him, Michael Bay decided. And you realize that there was kind of a challenge, like new line said, I'm, we're going to make it because I want to make it and I know what I can do with it. And then you had other creative collaborators getting the message out there, out there in a creative way, telling the story in a creative way, cutting a trailer in a creative way. And the commoditization of all that really just goes down to like, well, can we get mass content? Let's just acquire another big library and make another sequel from some universal, some universe platform or whatever, and no longer have these kind of breakthroughs or, or maybe we are getting some breakthroughs. I mean, some of the Oscar nominations last year are, were clearly off from what was a, you know, popular center for better or worse or whatever. But, um, I'm just like, you know, you guys are the marketers. There's gotta be something that you realize like, yeah, totally different job than it was 30 years ago when I started doing 30, this or whatever. 10 years ago. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I sure. remember rushing a spot across the street so we could get it on Friends or American Idol, like, because we wanted to see our tracking go up 10 points. Oh, Those man. days are done. And that was only like 10 years ago. We're bringing three-quarter ta three tapes to the focus groups. Yes, boxes, exactly. Boxes. Oh, God. And they had to be in an exact yeah. order and take the slate off. <laughs> insane. Oh, God. Insane. I'm already getting PTSD just sitting here. <laughs> I remember uh, Trailer Park, they would call they would call into the phone company to get fiber oh, yeah, patched from yeah. our edit bay into the and so because nobody had time to drive between the two spaces because we were at such tight deadlines or whatever. Like, you know, it's so yeah, very, very difficult. I always had to call ATT to clear a line. That's what my thing. I'd like to yeah. the good night a line is what we'd call it. Good night a line. <laughs> yeah. Well Tim, I uh it's so insightful to kind of you know get the insights playbook. It sounds like Lionsgate is you know embracing this mm -hmm. and I love the fact that you're coming from you know, kind of a, a smaller player that has the opportunity to be nimble, ask different questions. But it also sounds like you guys are in the competitive marketplace, having to also step up into the data world, ask some of the bigger questions and also, you know, put the, take the tools that are available nowadays and, yeah. and play with those as well. 
Uh, sounds like a challenging, challenging time and exciting time for you. Really exciting. I couldn't be happier to be in the middle of this muck as we're coming out of it. You know, really, <laughs> that's what it is. It's kind of like them. Yeah, I think you're definitely at, you know, one of the better places to be at the moment. I, I you know, I think Amen. some of the other studios are either way high pressure or just they're, you know, there's a mess and nobody knows they're going to be acquired or whatever. Oh, and we're, we're, you yeah, know, you're definitely you're right. Headlines, right. That MGM yeah, deal. Was right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think, you know, you, to Tim's point, you guys are able to be nimble and that's something that's kind of cool, especially in the current environment. Yeah, I'm very grateful. And Keith, it sounds like you have a studio you can bring some of your clients' projects there to. There you go. Lionsgate seems to be on the world and experiment more than yeah, uh, yeah. some of the bigger that's, players that's out there. That's definitely so. true. Because they're definitely, most of the projects <laughs> are definitely not for like a Disney, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be on Disney Plus anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's you're right. That's like, uh, you know, we have, we have, um, we have an emerging identity, you know, it's weird because it, we're not like, like A24 has been able to craft a like a like a studio specific identity, a transcendent of the material. We're not we're, most of us aren't there really, unless you're Disney, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, the only one has identity. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or A24, and that's a very that's that's like this. So um, I don't know if it matters per se, but I think we can we can define it through the decisions we make and like the um, the areas that we like we have we have uh, really fun, exciting, diverse slate coming up. Um, that is like touches a broad swath of audience, um, which is always refreshing for us on the marketing side. It's or the, yeah. on the research side is to have have a family title once in a while. It's kind of nice. Have a horror title once in a while is kind of fun and nice. Have a comedy is kind of fun and kind of nice. Um, we do have one movie though that I really want to pitch because I'm so excited about. It's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It's Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage uh, with Pedro Pascal. Ooh. In a like, it's it's delicious and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, delicious! I like yeah. that review. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a there's a scene where they trade shoes. I'll do it with Pedro Pascal and because I won't give anything else away. Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage have this developing bromance that is just you know. I, I of course I fell in love with him with Pedro during The Mandalorian. Um, yes, head over heels. So his the look in his eyes is the way I want him to look at me. He's looking at Nick. It's so <laughs> awesome. It's so awesome. There's one moment that I was going to be peeing my pants when they are when they change shoes. And I'm going to leave that there so you have to see the movie. But when they swap shoes, Nick and Pedro, it is magic. Who's the director? It's not like a documentary, right? No, it's, it's like not a, a documentary. It's real. I should Oh, he's going to look it up. He's going to look it up. There he goes. There he goes. Well, that sounds awesome. I think Tim's playing a marketing game with us right now, <laughs> leaving us a little cliffhanger here to... He actually took advantage. Like we've had people on here from other studios and they don't pump their own stuff. And I'm like, why would you take it? <laughs> yeah, was like, I'll, I'll totally bump a movie. I don't care. Uh, it's Tom. I love it. Tom Gormican. Who was it? When's it come out? DVD. Mm. Mm -hmm. There you go. That, that big distribution decision. Right. I know. Dun, right. dun, dun. Right. We have a, uh, yeah, we have like, their next two movies are pretty firm. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard is in like with Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson and Sam Hayek and Antonio Banderas and Morgan Freeman. I mean, yeah, that's a good sequel. Is, I love those. That first one was it, pretty it's fun. It's a total turn your brain off laugh movie. And you will laugh. Yeah. I guarantee. Yeah. I guarantee there's two moments in that movie that will make you do spit takes. 
Pay your money back. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll the marketer said when it. I email he said it uh, Lionsgate for my refund. I'm going to attach this clip. <laughs> Be like, Tim says I can get my money back. See below. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully we are actually. Well, Tim, thanks for being part of our show. We oh, appreciate I'm you. I'm happy. Uh, kind of long time viewer, first time participant. I've been, I've been. Yeah, on this. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I like it. <laughs>